what is your method of working? That is an so editor's <laughs> question. Um, I am I am slow. Um, <laughs> I I tend to be very meticulous. I think about books a long time before I start working on them, and then when I do start working on them, I write and rewrite uh, because I like my first draft to be very much like a lot of other people's final drafts. So I like it to be clean and as close to as possible to the the finished form before I show it to anybody because in part I think that the way the books sound when you try to describe them, I, I just, you know, you might be a little skeptical that it would work. So I like to have it already working before I show it to somebody. Um, and also, there always seems to be some sort of disaster or sidetrack that happens in the course of the, the publication that uh, slows things down a bit, too. Um, my second novel, Sewer, Gas, and Electric, Gas in German, um, Morgan Entrican, who was my editor uh, at the point when I submitted the, the finished manuscript, was busy trying to buy his company, um, which kept him rather busy for a year, so it took him a while to get back to me. Um, so that kind of delayed publication a bit and um, and set this house in order uh, was with my editor and 9-11 happened and that of course set things back quite a while so um, um, actually there were no there were no disasters with bad monkeys but so that's it's actually only been four years so we're, we're it's actually ahead of schedule much faster than I thought um, uh, another thing talking about the very very surprising and especially of bad monkeys is um, many authors say characters and plots develop while they are writing. Is that the case uh, for you as well? Or have you, and it rather seems like this, have you a rather exact idea of how it will all end from the beginning on? Uh, yeah, I always know how the book is going to end before I start it. Usually, by the time I, I actually start putting words on, on paper or in the computer, um, I know the first three to six chapters in a longer book, and this one the first two chapters very, very well. Um, and I know how it's going to end. And then there's this sort of fuzzier section in between those two parts with occasional scenes peeking up out of the mist along the way. Um, and I will write the first three to six chapters or the first one or two, and by the time I've got those done, I've got a fairly detailed idea of the next the next set. And... Uh, Eventually the front end meets up with the back end and that's a happy day because then I know I've got it all. Um, but particularly in Bad Monkeys because it, it's playing a game the whole time about whether Jane's lying or crazy um, or if perhaps there's another explanation for what's going on. I, I wanted the book to work both before you knew how it was going to end and then again if you went back and reread it. And um, so it was very important to know where I was going so that I could, I could put in clues that didn't appear to be clues until you already knew the answer. Um, and um, so, yes, I, I, I knew how it was going to turn out. Um. Uh, many critics have uh, noticed or uh, commented on the fact that every novel of the four novels uh, was an entirely different genre. First, uh, Full of Bill could be characterized as a fantasy novel, uh, being probably partly influenced by somebody like Tolkien, then uh, the trilogy of public works would be a kind of uh, science fiction satire. Mm -hmm. Set this house in order could be was called uh, no, it's a, it's a kind of psychological novel about multiple personality, and this is a very 
outrageous, uh, again, science fiction-like book. Mm. Do you agree with these critics who see the difference, the variety of your different books, or don't you? I, I, I agree. Um, I'm not, but I, I, I'm not as worried about what, what they're particularly, where they're, where they're put. Um, yeah, I've, I've always been kind of impractical that I, I probably should have planned my career a little better, but I, I, I like to work on a book that's going to interest me, and I, I guess what interests me is something that's different than what I've done before. And part of the problem with this as a, a professional strategy, particularly when you combine it with only publishing a book every four or five years, is that um, it makes your publicist's life miserable. Um, your your old audience, you know, sort of forgets about you a bit, and then you have a new book coming out, but it's in a different part of the bookstore. So they, the people who are maybe looking for your next book, don't don't notice. Um, and so, in a, along the way, I mean, I, I do have fans who've been with me since Full on the Hill, but I also have fans who've sort of just found one book and um, followed me since then. I've got. Uh, so it's, it's, it's weirdly segmented that way. But for me, it's just, it's just because I, I do whatever interests me. And so far, at least, what's interested me is, has been something different each time. So eventually, I, I may repeat myself, but not yet. <laughs> so we should work uh, uh, so that, let's say, the bookshops, they have a special Matt Ruff corner. Uh, I think that's a great idea. <laughs> <laughs> No matter if it's fantasy or uh, something else. So a very obvious question, but then I would like to open a discussion for the public. Very obvious is uh, who are your the, the authors who influenced you most? And the next would be, because it's not identical, who are the authors you admire most? But let's first talk about possible influences. Well, actually, they, they do kind of meld together. Um, I mean, a big early influence was probably Stephen King, just because I loved his early storytelling. I've become a little more disenchanted with him now, but um, uh, I was a fan of Ray Bradbury as a kid, um, more his fantasy than his science fiction. Um, there's an author named Bertrand R. Brinley, who's probably not known here, he's very little known in the United States, but he wrote a group of short stories about... Uh, uh, the Mad Scientist Club of Mammoth Falls, who were a group of boys who um, used their knowledge of science to pull pranks. And uh, it was a great set of stories. So they built their own Loch Ness Monster. They built their own UFO. And that was their kind of thing to do. Um, nowadays, I think my favorite author is John Crowley, clearly. Um, uh, he's the author of The Translator. Uh, he's probably best known for a fantasy novel called Little Big. Uh, about uh, it's the book that William Faulkner would have written if he'd written about fairies. Um, and he's definitely worth finding. Uh, he's he's unfortunately kind of a writer's writer, which means that other writers know who he is and and admire him greatly. And and uh, he doesn't have a big readership, certainly not the readership he deserves. Um, uh, Jim Krejci, uh Joe Coomer, uh, Wilton Barnhart. Um, many of these may be names you don't know, so I, uh, um, uh, and I'm kind of blanking after that. Richard Price, so. Richard, the only author whose name I ever heard, <laughs> I completely unknown, but I really can assure you that uh, I, I'm certainly of a generation uh, who misses out a lot of allusions of all your books because I don't know about the music, I don't know about the authors and so forth. 
but it does not matter. You really can get the knack of it, you can get the excitement of it, even not understanding every every little detail. Yes, thank I mean, you. Uh, uh, thanks God, because otherwise uh, <laughs> <laughs> it would, the corner in the bookshop would be smaller, I would, I, I would say. So, but, but you have the one thing I really liked a lot, which is a very new anecdote. Uh, it's the story about you and Pynchon, and I want you to tell us how it happened. Uh, oh, yes. How you came across the famous blurb, which uh, certainly helped your career in the beginning, at least. Um, yes. Thomas Pynchon and I have the same agent, um, and I, I owe that to my college professor, Alison Lurie, who... Um, uh, introduced me to her. She liked my writing in college and said, you know, when you're done, send your, your manuscript to Melanie Jackson. And um, we turned out also to be Pynchon's agent. And um, So in Sewer, Gas, and Electric, there was this running joke about that guy who nobody was allowed to take his picture. Was, you know, a reference to Pynchon, who, who's always fascinated me for, the, and I, as I think he's fascinated a lot of people for this, this determination to remain anonymous. And um, and there's also a gag that every time this comes up in the novel, people will ask, well, have you read that book You know, by that guy who nobody was allowed to take his picture? And it's like, no, of course nobody's ever read that book. So I thought it would be funny to ask Pynchon to, to blurb sewer gas without reading it. And I asked Melanie to pass along the message. Um, and it would have been really neat if that had happened, but um, Pynchon kind of spoiled my gag by actually reading the book and liking it. So... <laughs> So he did agree to blurb it, but but actually on the on the basis of, of knowing what happened in it. So and that's yeah. that's how I got the blurb. Yeah, it's only that you now have to read the Pynchon's work from the beginning. <laughs> you don't feel obliged. Uh, I I feel guilty every time everybody asks anybody asks me whether I have, but. Um, <laughs> no, no. I suppose it's for many, many, many people who read, even people who read a lot, one of those authors, you always mean to read one of those days. Once you have I, I feel time. the opening paragraph of Gravity's Rainbow is one of the finest, <laughs> <laughs> finest opening paragraphs of any novel I haven't finished. But, um, you're not alone. You're in this, you're not, not alone. Uh,